Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hey everyone and welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. This is uh, the Luke 13 Kitchen episode. I'm Kevin Lester. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, the Kitchen episodes, if you have been here for one before... Remember, are the ones where I kind of give my more personal thoughts just on the story because I, I love these stories a lot. I really love Luke 13, and uh, I try and keep my personal thoughts as much as possible out of the main story one. But yeah, if we uh, if we were in the same place and we read the story together, this is uh, what I think our at least my side of our conversation about what the story I think means to us is kind of like. I was dead, then alive. She was like wine turned to water, then turned back to wine. You can pour us out. We won't mind. I scratched around the mouth of the glass. My life is no longer mine. Well, one of the things that I love about um, doing lo-fi lectionary is it's given me an opportunity to really um, take this experimental way of reading the Bible that I that I had come up with, the, you know, that I call the lo-fi method, where the first question we kind of ask is, what is God like? We look at God as a character in the story. And, and, and I hope that that's something that you can do whether you, you know, take, you know, the stories that we're reading in particular as, as, you know, deep, true religious texts or not, or as you just think it's a, it's an interesting piece of literature. I mean, God is a character in this story and what is God like? But I do think, um, for those of us who are religious and maybe have grown up, you know, in, in Christian circles or other circles that kind of use, you know, the stories that we find in Luke in particular as religious texts, um, it's, it's a really, really helpful method um, and helping us read these stories religiously or spiritually or theologically because it challenges us to think about the character of who is God and what is God like first before we start to understand or really debate or think about, consider, interpret all of the teachings and the doctrinal things, the theological things that come later. Because it all has to be grounded in the context of who is this person that's giving us this teaching or that's saying these things because there's a, a there, I, I think there's a really deep danger in not taking seriously um, first the character of God before you build a theology or a religion around this God. Um, and I think that that would go for, for, for any religion. Um, but you know, in the one that I grew up in, in Christianity, um, there's a, it's dangerous because you can take one piece of one story or, or one sermon or one chapter, um, and build a religion or, or a very big part of that religion, you know, or, or a big part of your own just personal beliefs on that one little part. And that can be dangerous because what if you haven't taken seriously, well, who, what's the context in which this, this teaching or this, you know, this message is being spoken. And what if we end up taking it way far out of context and we end up making, um, God out to be someone very different than what God is or who God wants to be or is trying to be and is trying to do in the world or thinks about us or thinks about the world, you can really take it too far. And I think at this point in Luke 13, we can have an interesting conversation um, that kind of highlights that. So for instance, we have now gotten to a few chapters in a row where the, the topic of judgment comes up. Um, where Jesus gives some parables or some teachings in particular that reflect on, you know, what, what might happen to people at the end of times or what is happening to people now, because there's always a present component to it. Um, and if you take these the wrong way outside of the character of Jesus, you can end up with a very 
particular way of thinking about the world that might actually be very far from who Jesus is and far from the heart of God, if you want to talk about God as having a heart. Um, And so I'm going to make an observation here, and I haven't thought this all the way through, but this thought came up for me this week. Um, This is one of those moments where if you disagree with me on this, please talk to me about it, because this is still a thought that I'm being courageous and vulnerable enough to throw out into the world and see what I even think about it. And that is, is that so far in the story of Luke, there's these stories where Jesus is very merciful and talks a lot about mercy and teaches about mercy. And there's stories where he talks about judgment and teaches about judgment. And it seems to me that at least so far in the story, the mercy is always real and the judgment is hypothetical. Now, I might be willing to go ahead and and title this kitchen episode the one where Kevin loses listeners, but hopefully please stay with me because it seems like the mercy is always real and the judgment is always kind of hypothetical and hypothetical isn't the right word. I've I've been trying to think all week if there's a better word. I even broke out the, 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 the thesaurus to try and find a better word. And I was like, theoretical, no, that's not real. Indefinite is kind of close to it. Something like that. What I think I'm getting at, but let me me try and break it down. So the mercy in the Jesus story, in his teaching and in his actions is always real. It's always like embodied. Like he does talk about God being loving and showing favor and being good, but then he always enacts it. Like he always makes it concrete. He brings it into reality. Like it's the entire work of Jesus. The whole first third of the book is Jesus just walking around basically and touching people, healing people, having dinners where he invites people that shouldn't be there. You know, he's he's just constantly going around and showing mercy and favor on people who are outcasts, low-class people, powerless people, hurting people. And then even when he meets people who are sinners or who are unjust or who are wicked, he's loving and merciful to those people too. And so we've had a couple chapters now, even in a row, where Jesus has been meeting and having all these conflict with people who would be his enemies. And he's being loving and merciful and good to them too. And that's really interesting. So the, the mercy is always being made real. He'll like talk about how merciful and good God is. And then he's like, oh, now let me show you. I'm going to make this real. I'm going to make it happen. It's happening right now. It's very present, you know. Um, and so even the people that kind of hate him, like he just loves them. And it seems like Jesus is relentlessly looking for ways to show everybody how to join like this favor party, you know, this, this movement, you know, and he, everywhere he goes, he's eating and drinking and even being accused of eating and drinking too much. You know what I mean? Like of being too good and too nice. And that's just what he's doing. And he won't stop, you know, in this chapter, he gives those little parables about, you can't stop this. This is how it's, this is the way the world really is. And this is what's really happening. And he's not out to punish people at all, even when he talks about punishments or consequences or judgment. He's out to save people from punishment. And so the punishment, I would say, is always hypothetical in the story. It's always like some sort of metaphor. It's always in some sort of parable about what could or might happen in the future. And whenever Jesus talks about judgment, it, it's it's almost always a few things. It's always surprising as to who is under judgment or who's experiencing consequences. Like it's always like it's always like a little story where like oh those people aren't supposed to be the ones who normally get judgment in the story, but oh they are. Oh my goodness! Like it's always like a tactic to kind of wake people up when Jesus talks about judgment, um, and it's always kind of apart from the 
God or God figure. I don't know if I want to say always, but like it's often like judgment or consequences or bad things happen in some sort of separation or absence of where God is. It's not like God is like going there and actively like poking people with a fiery fork, you know, to punish them or something like that. It's always like you're outside the gates, you know, you're just on the other side. Um, you know, you didn't want to come in the house, stuff like that. Um, there's going to be even more stories like that later as, as Luke goes on. Um, one more thing. It's, it's, I wrote down, it's never the work of the people. Oh, okay. So what I meant by this is, um, it's never other people's job to dole out or pronounce judgment. In fact, Jesus discourages his followers and forbids them from doing that. You know, there's the, the one story we got to a few chapters ago where two of his disciples are like, Hey, these people are doing something really bad. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? You know? (laughs) And Jesus is like, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? You know? Um, his followers are never supposed to take any part in punishing other people. And yet how many religious people read these stories about judgment and then make that their business? Pronouncing, enacting, making real the judgment, you know, because in the stories of Jesus, it's the judgment is always something to come. You know, there's glimpses of it in the present already. So in the story in Luke 13 in particular, you have the religious leaders who don't join the party. Like when the woman gets healed, everyone else is celebrating and praising God and Jesus is with them and they're silenced and they don't celebrate. But that's not like an active judgment. That's just like, hey, this is the reality of the way it is. And some of you guys are in and some of you guys are out, but you can, you can come on in, come in and celebrate the fact that this good thing just happened, you know, um, but when Jesus teaches about like judgment, it's always like something that's coming later and in the future. And, um, you, I start to wonder if I make, you know, I'm just making observations here. If, if I wonder if from Jesus point of view, it's, it's almost always something that's going to come later. There's always a later, there's always another day. There's always another chance for people to get it right. I wonder, I mean, we can, we can sharpen this more as we read through the story of Luke. And certainly you can bring in other passages from all over the Bible and develop a more developed doctrine of judgment. But if we're looking at just the story of, of Luke here, and if we're looking at what the character of Jesus is like here, it seems like the mercy and the favor and the love of God for Jesus is always real and immediate and is happening all the time. And has to be embodied by the way that we touch and talk to and work with people. And the way that he wants to touch and talk and be with people. And the punishments or the judgments or the consequences are always like something that's kind of elusive and in the air. Maybe it'll come later. Or maybe you're experiencing now, but it's just like you, 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 that's because, that's because it's your choice. You're kind of on the outside. Um, And that's, that's interesting to me. And I know, you know, some people might be thinking, you know, Kevin, the judgment is real. It's just not here yet. You know, that's, that's the future thing. But here's one more observation. Um, what looks like judgment to us doesn't come from God in the book of Luke. And so you have the destruction of Jerusalem. It happens after the book of Luke. But if these stories are true in the way that Jesus talks about the stories here, it's not that those things are a consequence or a punishment from God. In fact, those are not the act. That's not the work of God in the world. That's the work of everyone else. That's the work of all the foxes 
in the world, all the Herods and the Pilots and the emperors and the Caesars. Like God's not really like in, involved in that from Jesus's point of view. And so here in the story, people are like, oh, well, you know, like what about when those people were killed and their blood was mingled with sacrifices or, and Jesus even brings up, well, what about when that tower fell over on people? Do you think that that's like what God is up to in the world that he's just going around making bad things happen to people that he thinks deserve it? And Jesus says twice, no, I tell you. And it seems to be that even as the rest of time, Jesus isn't even talking about that. He's not doing that work either. Like punishments and judgments and consequences are not the work that Jesus is interested in doing. It's not on his agenda. Um, and I find that that's really fascinating. Like he's, he's not here to host the judgment. He's here to host the party. He's here to be the one in, in heaven who, who advocates for people at the judgment. Like, here he has the party as this woman is loosed, is, is is set up straight so they can praise their God. That's the work that Jesus is all about and is giving his time and his life for. I mean, the only judgment that falls on people in these Jesus stories is the what falls on people when they refuse to go into the party. Like, that's their own judgment. I mean, and else, elsewhere, Jesus phrases it like this. He says, they've received their reward. But if you ask Jesus, there's a better reward to get. And that's going in and saying yes and experiencing the goodness and favor of God. And I know I, I bring up this kind of topic a lot. And this is and 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 it it's a natural thing to come up because as I'm talking about the lo-fi method, you know, just using like focusing on the character of God. And there's a reason that this is really important for me. And it kind of came up for me again this week. So I was having lunch with a friend, and um, my friend is a pastor um, here in Flagstaff as well. And we were chatting about, you know, how things are going and we were, we were talking about things and we ended up, we, we, we always end up every time we hang out, we talk a lot of politics and we talk a lot of like theology and a lot of church stuff. Um, we're, cause we're both just big nerds like that. And we were talking about how there's like this one current, like hot button theological issue that churches are debating about and, 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 and even splitting over and having all kinds of like arguments about and stuff like that, that seems to be really important to some people. And we both kind of know where we stand on it and we could even sit down and we could make a really good case for what we believe. We could iron out a pretty smooth, you know, doctrinal statement, you know, theological, you know, essay on why we believe what we believe, um, you know, what our stance is and stuff like that. But, and, and moreover, um, both of us believe that Jesus is the kind of God that if we get this wrong, it's not like he's going to turn us away. Like we've both read, you know, the story of Luke and other stories where Jesus, you know, it, it actually invites in and wants to get closer to people who are wrong or who need help or who are kind of messy. And that's what we believe that God is like. And so we don't think that if we get this one wrong, that we're in big trouble with God, you know, um, and even if our churches or church in general or the American church or whatever is kind of obsessed with hot button theological issues like this at the moment, you know, and even if other people want to draw lines in the sand and say that if you don't agree with this position on this issue, then you are not part of like God's people. Like you can't call yourself a Christian. Um, People seem to do that work, but we don't believe that Jesus really does. Like, he doesn't seem to draw a lot of theological lines in the sand and say, look, unless you overcome this, you're, you're, you're not with me. It's more about, for Jesus, it's 
are you all about the love and favor of God? And are you taking care of others as you've experienced God taking care and loving of you? And that's kind of interesting. Um, and so my friend and I were at lunch and we we're eating pizza and we were talking about this, but then my, you know, my friend, um, who's a really good guy. He, he looks at me and he's like, you know, but still like, because of the way I was brought up, you know, he was brought up in kind of a, a, a more stern kind of religion. Um, he's like, and because I was brought up in that, I still, even though I could make a good case for my theological belief, and I do believe that Jesus is good and loving and merciful and will not like reject me if I get this wrong, there's always still a little part of me inside that kind of carries like a little bit of fear that if I have this wrong, I'm going to be in trouble. Like, because my friend kind of grew up in, like I did, you know, not a, a hen religion, but an eagle religion, where it's like, you need to be afraid of God if you get things wrong. Even just if if, if what you get wrong is, is something on a checklist of which belief or which stance you take on which belief that you have. And I, and I could feel like, you know, my friend kind of really being challenged by this. And he asked me, he's like, do you, do you have the same thing? Like, did you grow up with that too? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Like that was, that was a really, that's a really tough one for me too. Because I read the Luke story and I'm like, wow, if God is like this, then that's really good news for me. Um, Cause I don't have to have everything right. Cause he's always ready to show mercy and love for people. Like everyone who on the ground does good, as long as I'm kind of humble and as long as I'm ready to admit where I'm wrong and make the fixes or the corrections when I finally see the truth, like Jesus is all about like welcoming me and welcoming us and welcoming all of everyone in. But there is still a small part of me that kind of holds on to the, the character of God that I grew up with, which was very different where I needed to be afraid, you know, and, and over my years working in, in ministry and in churches and talking about God with a lot of people, I see that so many of us grow up believing a story where the God character is one who cares nothing for individual people. Like the God that they, that we've been taught, you know, from the stories, like doesn't understand how hard it is to be human and how messy being human is. And God doesn't seem to understand in the stories we believe how easy it is for us to get it wrong and how susceptible we are to a lot of very powerful temptations and stuff like that. And we're kind of taught that like, yeah, God is loving and forgiving, but he will not stand for any of that. You know what I mean? Like, like it's always like we're, 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 sometimes we grow up with a story and a vision of God where the love that he has is almost like a reluctant love. Cause he's, he's, it's like we caught him in a game where it's like, well, I guess, you know, I'll send my, you know, son to die so I can save all you worthless people. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, a vision of a God that loves us so much that he'll send, you know, his son to be with us, to show favor on us and to die for us. And that's, that's very, that's very different. And in fact, like I remember being a kid in youth, I might have told the story in the podcast before, cause I tell it a lot cause it's a very vivid memory where I was at a camp and if you've never been to Christian camp, Christian camp, um, at least at the time, I wonder if this has changed a lot. 
has a, a certain flow to it. So if you were there for five days, like at the beginning of the week, it would be like, you know, like the camp speaker would get up, like whoever was giving the, the, the talking, the campfire talks every night at the beginning of the week, it'd be kind of light and kind of goofy. And then it would have like a serious moment, you know, and then you'd learn more about them and their life over the next few days and, and why they believe in God and stuff like that. And then the, the last like night of camp or the night before that, like towards the end, there's what they call cry night. Um, and cry night, that's a, that's kind of an industry term. Cry night is the night where we talk about the reality of sin. We talk about what Jesus did for us. And you can, and a lot of kids and youth people and stuff like that, like young people often might cry. That's why it's called cry night. And there's two reasons that they can cry at cry night. One is they can buy into an idea of just how deeply they are loved by God, even if they are messed up that it might actually cause an emotional reaction in them. I hope that's what's happening at most camps. But I attended some when I was a kid where I cried for the other reason, where I cried because the camp speaker so poetically and profoundly and expertly communicated to me a message of how bad my sins were and how big of a mess that I had made, that it, I was responsible for the death of Jesus. And that Jesus is ready and willing to love and to forgive me and stuff like that. But I have to fully acknowledge just how bad I was to God first. And so it was kind of like this idea that it's like, in order to talk about how good God is, we had to talk about how low and how awful all of us are. Does that make sense? Like, like oh, like, like if you were... Um, like if you were inviting a friend out for pizza, because pizza's on my mind because I was just talking about having pizza with my friend. Like if we were going to uh, go to a really nice pizza restaurant, it's like, first I got to take you to Pizza Hut where it's, it's like a grease sponge and it's awful and you're going to eat it and have a stomach ache. And that way when you go to the, when we go to the, to the nice pizza place downtown, you're going to love this pizza so much more. You know what I mean? And it was kind of like that, but uh, like times a billion and about you. And so it's like, you have done so many bad things. Isn't it good that God loves you anyway? You know what I mean? And you can even say those same words in the context of, of Luke, but it just comes across with a very different tone. And so I remember a camp speaker getting up there and saying, every time you've sinned, you hammered a nail into the hands of Jesus, you know? So imagine telling that to a 14-year-old boy who can't stop thinking about, you know, like girls, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, every time you do that, it's like you hammered a nail into the hands of the person who loves you the most. Don't you feel awful? You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's really rough. So many of us grow up with this vision of God that God doesn't care about how hard it is for us. And God doesn't care. God will accept no excuses or reasons or bargaining or, or anything. God does not empathize with us at all. He demands perfection. And lucky for us, he's willing to throw us some pity to kind of fix it for us and reluctantly maybe let us in. And that's kind of the character of God that I grew up with. Um, it's a God who is just fine with people being cast out forever from his kingdom. It's a God who's fine closing the gate on people who deserve it. It's a God who doesn't mind being inside the gate at his own party and hearing the sounds of the weeping and gnashing of teeth outside and who is perfectly okay with that. And you can read Luke 13 and you can read those same passages where Jesus does talk about those things. But Jesus doesn't seem to be okay with that. 
he's actively fighting for people and he's actively embodying love and mercy and bringing that into the reality. And so I wonder if therefore that's what allows Jesus to talk about judgment always in the hypothetical because he is so firmly rooted in an idea that God is just so very deeply good and loves people and individuals so much and understands how hard it is to try and do this right and understands how susceptible we are to temptations. And that's why he's always giving more and more chances and he's pursuing people so deeply because he wants to gather them together like a hen to her baby chicks. Because he's not okay with people being closed out of the gate. That's a very different character to start with as we read the story and see what he does to develop that character and then to hear those teachings spoken in that context. I mean, you can read a lot of the Bible and still get an image of God where God is very angry and wrathful and is ready at any moment's notice to get rid of people he doesn't like. But then when you read Jesus, especially as we've been going through the book of Luke, here we are at the 13th chapter. And if we consider what kind of God we find there, it's very different. And in fact, Jesus addresses that directly. I mean, he talks about himself as the bird that wants to gather people together under his wings, but he changes it from an eagle to a hen. He's there to change the tradition or to help us see what was intended more clearly in the first place. He's taking the picture of God and he's, he's making corrections to it. It's not an eagle. It's a hen. Like, in the story of Jesus, we see a character of God that doesn't demand perfection, but offers mercy. And we see that there's, if there's anything relentless about this God, it's not God's judgment that's relentless against us. It's God's favor that's relentless. And so when I read those stories, I think, if I'm going to crash and burn, you know, theologically or personally, or, uh, or uh, eschatologically, like at the end times, if there's going to be a big crash for me at a certain point because I've been so wrong and I've made such a mess against things, it's going to be a crash against God's goodness and love and not against God's anger and hatred. I mean, if Luke is right, and Luke 13 especially is right, that's what God is really like, and that's what's really going on. So one day, I hope that, you know, like me and like, like my friend that I lunch with and other people that I know, I hope we all can find a way, if we grew up with the wrong story about God that taught us the wrong character of God, I hope that we can find a way to fall deaf to that voice eventually. Because it's the voice that tells us that we need to be afraid of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who's constantly telling people to not be afraid, especially of him and of God. I mean, when I think about the other big, really big relationships in my life, I think about my son. I think about my wife. I want to love them. And I want to live well with them. And I want to show them favor and goodness. And I don't need them to be afraid of me to do that. I don't want them to have a voice inside of them that says, you need to be afraid of Kevin. 
because he can take his love and go somewhere else. I don't want that for them. And I don't think Jesus wants us to be afraid of him either. I mean, if you're a baby chick, you should be afraid of foxes. And maybe you should even be afraid of eagles because they're birds of prey. But you don't need to be afraid of the hen. The hen is the one you run to. The hen is the one that gathers you together. The hen is the one that's going to protect you. And that's what God wants to do. And even if I'm wrong on some or many or all things that I could believe or teach or could check off on a list of theological things and religious beliefs, even if I'm practicing this religion totally wrong, even if all my behaviors are wrong and stuff like that, I think Jesus still wants to tell us and to tell me that there's a place for me inside the gates and inside the nests. That as he says, if only I am willing, it's all favor from here on out. That would be pretty great, right? Um, this is a much more religious and spiritual um, episode of The Kitchen One. Normally I try and think through what this message could be to those of you guys who aren't religious or maybe aren't even spiritual thinkers. Um, I don't know. I'd love to hear from you on this. Like, the, the God that you see most people believing in and walking around with, is it more the eagle or more the hen? Is it more the God who doesn't seem to care if people are cast out and if people get lost? Or is it God who seems to be always trying to draw people together because he loves them? And can you find... I can understand finding a God who is angry and hurtful and wrathful unbelievable. A loving God... Is that also just as unbelievable? I mean, I know, like, if 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 the reason you might not be religious is because, um, you know, for for scientific reasons or proof reasons or philosophical reasons or stuff like that, like maybe you just don't buy into the idea of God in the first place. But if there is a God, do you think a loving God is possible? Or more likely, I'd be really curious to hear that. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, please share it with me. We have an email for the podcast. It's lofi, L-O-F-I, um, at kevinlester.net. You can email me there. You can hook me up on Facebook. Um, if you're, hey, if you're in Flagstaff, let's go have lunch. That would be awesome. Anyway, take care, guys. I hope you all have a great week, and uh, I look forward to seeing you here for Luke 14 in just a week or so. Have a good day. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, the more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Electionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net, and that's lofi with no dash, so L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again, so at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it, so thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.